Paratopia. It's Jeffrey Ritzman. It's Jeremy Vaney. It's your co-hosts. Hello. Hello. How are you, Hello. Jeff? I'm good. Oh, good. Um, so we have one last listener episode, Mr. John Spring, who I could have sworn uh, was a professor somewhere, but he's not a professor. He's just uh, really smart and uh, knows how to compartmentalize things so that they make sense. Well, and let's be honest here. I told him if he didn't do a listener episode, I'd I'd beat him to death. Oh, really? That, is that what did it? I'm pretty sure. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think this is going to be great. I think you'll love it. It covers, well, you'll hear it. It covers everything from consciousness to philosophy to uh, neurobiology and more. So we will get into that shortly. But I guess we should talk about uh, the new direction of the show in a little bit more detail. We've announced it to our message board, but we haven't actually talked about what it means that we're going premium on this show. So what does it mean? Well, it means that for those of you who do not have a $1.25 to your name, um, you'll be able to hear a half-hour um, episode uh, for free. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, it's a buck twenty-five, and that'll be two hours or more, like usual, of right. episode. Uh, if you do a monthly subscription, however, it is not $5 a month, but it is a mere paltry four fifty a month. And that affords you not only the episodes uh, for the month, but also a premium subscriber message board. And starting in January, Paratopia Quarterly Magazine. Right. Uh, which we will be selling individually. And also, as I say, subscribers get it for free. And of course, bonus, you know, content. I'm sure I will come up with some video stuff and, and other things uh, as we go along during the course well, of the show. Uh, yeah, we, we should make clear, though, that even if you would subscribe for a monthly subscription, you know, when we start this in the next week, week and a half, whatever, uh, you will still get the quarterly magazine for free. Just say you subscribe in October. Uh, you say you, you know, October 20th or something like that, that you subscribe, you go for 28 days. That's a month. You'll get four shows. Uh, and when the magazine comes out, regardless of whether you resubscribe or not, you will also get the first issue of the Paratopia quarterly. So that is correct. And it is not some El Cheapo magazine. It is not some webzine. This is going to be high quality, good stuff, a PDF, uh, and it will be, you know, great writers from a variety of fields. Right. Eventually. <laughs> we'll see how how varied those fields are in the first issue. Uh, we already know who some of the um, writers are, but I don't, I don't want to give it away just yet. But uh, No, but they're great. And there are people that you know. So it'll be uh, it'll be great. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've, I've seen like just a, a slew of new uh, UFO magazines and even some online stuff that is just like. Okay, I get it. This is the same old shit with new paper. You know, it's like, who is that doing any good for? And it ranges from, you know, average, same old shit to like just really bad disclosure, same old shit. So yeah. I feel like now is really the time to uh, sort of put a stop to that if possible by offering <laughs> something that is, um, I don't even want to say a fresh approach. Because I'll feel like it's unfortunate if it's a fresh approach to have actual, for instance, science and facts. 
inside of right. a magazine. But uh, well, I, I mean, don't you think it's going to be a it's going to be a fairly accurate mirror reflection of what the show is and yes. what you've come to know from the show, which is quality guests, quality discussion, and all of that. But it's going to be in a magazine form where we're going to go probably at times probably deeper than what the show allows because this is print and we can write down uh, and describe things a little more accurately perhaps. So there's the luxury of time and space on the magazine. Yeah, and it'll still be kind of cool and a, a bit of the comedy as well. So I think oh, yeah, a little bit of fun. everything for everybody. Are we going to have a jumble? A jumble? Or a jumble? Are we going to have a <laughs> yes. We're going to have a jumble on the show. George Hansen's we word jumble. We should have a jumble on the show. Okay. <laughs> George Hansen's word jumble. Bow tie. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. <laughs> so look out for that in January. Um, but And I also think it's a, a, just a better way or a different way to, to do something other than having another midweek show, you know, because I, I feel like all, all of these um podcasts that do subscriptions are like buy our show and then you'll get a midweek show or or you'll get you know an after chat show and i mean i don't think that they're actually giving you any more in hours uh spent listening than just doing a show so i feel like it's better for the flow of things to just do our normal two-hour show and not break it up and um and not pretend that we're giving more and, yeah, uh, well, and then I mean, actually give a magazine, which is like some people right. have said on the message board, they'd like something tangible. Well, what's more tangible than being forced to read? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I could say one thing as far as the magazine goes, it will be I, – I, it's hard to describe. Uh, well, I mean, needless to say, I'm going to be the designer and layout guy on this thing. So when you open it up from the PDF, it's going to be pretty much indistinguishable from if you took a magazine and scanned it and made a PDF. That's what we're looking at doing here. It's not your standard black and white four pages of garbage. It's going to be a magazine uh, in, in every sense that that means minus the barcode. So, um, you know, And I may put a barcode on there just for fun that you could take to your local grocer and scan <laughs> and see what dirty word it says. Nice. Well, that sounds good. I'm so. looking forward to that aspect of the magazine. Yes, I am too. <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So let's get on with the show, and then you and I will return for some after chat. Oh, I guess uh, when, what, what is the timetable? Do we have a timetable for this? Do we have a timetable? Next um, week or the week after? What are we looking at? Well, right now we're, we're beta testing the sign-up forums. I want to make sure that everything works. Uh, the new website is up, uh, just so we can pound that down your throat a bit more, at www.paratopia.net and paratopia.org. That's right. We've expanded. Uh, <laughs> and when .com becomes available, you bet your asses I'm going to own that too. Uh, you know, there is the main site, but there also will be a membership site. Uh, that once you sign up, you will have access to, which is a whole different world. A whole from the main new world. Yes, and it looks beautiful. So, and that's that's essentially what we're what we're testing out to ensure that sign up and single purchase shows are available, and that all the mechanics work. So I'm going to say about a week and a half, we should be able to turn the, the key on the thing and let everybody in, 
uh, to do their thing. So once again, you will be able to buy single episodes for $1.25 as you wish. If you don't like the guest one week, in the next week you do, buy that one, go on and so forth. The monthly subscription that includes the message board, the members-only website, which contains a lot of media from Jeremy probably, a uh, little less from me. Uh, but I'll, I'll do some. I'll still do some. And that will also include your, um, your magazine copy for the quarterly. And that's $4.50 a month. Yes, people have been um, saying yeah. that we're underselling ourselves, but I tend to think that uh, we're actually just trying no, I think it's, to make this I, affordable I think it's perfect. for people. Yeah. yeah, I think it's perfect. I think that um, – well, it's one of those things. When you're doing what you like – we were talking about this on the phone the other night. When you're doing what you like, which is we like doing the show, we just hate paying the bills. That's all. Right. Uh, <laughs> but the magazine is really going to be uh, fun for – us to do and and exciting for us to do because it's a new kind of uh, media for us to work in with the show and we toss this around you know if the magazine is is well liked and well received then we could think about maybe upping it to twice a quarter or something like that or maybe even going to print so who knows but uh another thing that's that we didn't mention about uh our new direction with the show is that we will be having uh, shirts made up, which numerous people have asked me for. And we're also going to be having uh, cups, mugs, all that sort of stuff with Paratopia logo on it and different artworks. And those will be available about the time that the premium starts. So keep your eyes peeled on the main Paratopia site for that as well. Very nice. All right, Spider fans, or... Whatever what? Our, whatever our fans are. <laughs> Here is JMS from the message boards. You know him, you love him. If you don't know him and love him from there, you know him as John Spring. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is John Spring. Um, I'm a listener of both Paratopia uh, and the Black Fridays more recently. Um, what I was interested in doing today was a show on consciousness. Um, the topic came up a couple shows ago on the Black Fridays, and I would say it's one of the themes of Paratopia. And I thought that it would be valuable to kind of go through what what people are thinking about consciousness kind of in the scientific mainstream. And, and these are some of the, the concepts that a lot of you have probably heard of. Um, but some of them probably uh, people out there haven't heard of. And, and I, I think that this is really going to be relevant to people who are interested in the paranormal. So before I really dive in, though, one thing I think is important is for me to kind of lay out some of my own personal biases. I'm I'm doing I'm doing the show from a point of view, um, so I have my own ideologies, um, and and you you can take that as it is, and then kind of move on from there. Uh, for me, paranormal experience is really just the taboo normal. There isn't really, for me, any distinction of any part of the universe that we can experience with, you know, the more mundane and commonplace parts of the universe that we kind of all agree are real. Going beyond that a little bit, we kind of have a conception of reality, and our conception of it is we really try and rationalize things and, and simplify them. And, and kind of make structures um, 
break things down so that we understand them. But the universe itself might actually be fundamentally irrational. It may be composed of completely logical blocks of irrational happenings. Um, and, and I think we should keep that in mind as we think about the way that um, we interact with the paranormal, which seems kind of, it has that trickster as aspect to it. Um, and, and other aspects of consciousness itself and some of the, the topics I'm going to get to. So basically there's a couple things I want to cover, um, having gotten that intro kind of out of the way. Um, the first relating to consciousness is something called the hard problem of consciousness, um, which a philosopher named David Chalmers came up with. He divides consciousness into the easy stuff and the hard stuff, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. The next thing I want to look at is kind of the materialistic view, and this is really the mainstream view um, of science right now, um, which is kind of... Um, it's kind of the, the view that consciousness itself emerges from the brain and it emerged for purely physical processes that we can figure out. And this threshold is probably approaching pretty rapidly. Uh, the next thing I'd like to look at is quantum physics and consciousness. Um, there's a lot of interesting um, kind of controversies around um, quantum physics and consciousness and and just the fact that if you if you talk about quantum physics and paranormal um, in the same sentence people roll their eyes well that's no excuse for not thinking about it so we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a little bit um, and finally I want to look at a, a what to me is a really interesting theory of consciousness or model of consciousness um, they do have falsifiable predictions, so I, I think it's safe to call it kind of a, a theory or a proto-theory. Um, but, but this theory is called ORC-OR, um, and it was proposed originally by Roger Penrose, who's a theoretical physicist. And I, I'm picking on that one again because I think it's a, a really interesting theory. There are lots of other theories of consciousness out there. So that's a summary of, of what I'm looking at. And um, when I'm done with all that, and even as I'm going through some of these, I'm going to try and integrate it with some of the different paranormal um, uh, concepts that are out there. Okay, so let's get started with the, the hard problem of consciousness. Um, and before I get into David Chalmers' idea, which is actually kind of an idea that extends back in time with other philosophers, uh, I would like to read a quote from a, a scientist uh, Max Planck. Um, who's he? Well, he had his own length, so that's important. Um, and it was really, really short. So the quote I'm going to read is this. I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything we talk about, everything we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. So that's that's a pretty interesting way to frame things, and I thought it would be a good way to, to kind of get the brain thinking before we dive into um, facing up to the problem of consciousness, which is actually the name of a paper on uh, David Chalmers' website. 
And what we have is kind of the easy problems of consciousness and the hard problems of consciousness. Um, and what he distinguishes as the easy problems of consciousness are really things that we kind of have an idea of how to do already, or maybe we've actually already kind of have done. And these are things like focusing our attention or the deliberate control of, of behavior or the reportability of mental states, which means you can say, you know, I see this or I see that. These are things that, um, you know, a, a robot can focus its attention, whatever that is. A robot can report on what it's seeing, whatever that is. And even though our brain is pretty complex, um, much more complex just in terms of the neurons that exist in it than, than computers uh, that we have available to us today, um, you know, we can kind of see how some of these easy problems of consciousness could eventually be be tipped over by just adding processing power. So that's the easy stuff. And actually, we call it easy, but it's actually, it is hard. Like, it, it, it's hard to replicate even what, you know, an animal could do or a, a fly, right? It, it's hard to replicate what a fruit fly could do. But eventually we think, well, you know, maybe we'll be able to do some of that. Um, but then we get to the tricky stuff. So what is the hard problem of consciousness? Um, what it is, is how do you describe or how do you understand yourself? Or how can you refer to yourself? Or how can you have subjective experience about your inputs and outputs? Um, we know that a, a a robot might be able to report what it sees, or you know, send a send a, a packet over a network. But what is it to have um, kind of a subjective emotional response to um, a red rose, or um, some experience which might be connected? to other experiences and, and there may be no rhyme or reason to it, but it's a, it's to us, it's a conscious moment. This subjective aspect of our conscious experience and the way we see the world is, is actually the hard problem of consciousness. Um, and of course it's controversial. Um, not everyone really agrees that this is a hard problem, but it's, it is, I think most of us would agree that it is actually a tricky problem if we if we sit down and think about it um, and think about how how it is that we are able to refer back to ourselves, which is reflexivity. Um, you know, it 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 gives one it gives one food for thought. Now, there's there's a concept that I'd like to bring up here, which is um, the concept of qualia, and I'm not going to use too much jargon as we go through this, but. Qualia is kind of pertinent to the hard problem of consciousness because it is the word that describes a personal subjective experience. Like um, if you feel pain, you know, that's, that's kind of your own, you have your own personal view um, and it influences you and you're conscious of it. Your personal subjective view of a cup of tea or um, a sunset all these things, all these instances of subjective experience individually are qualia. So kind of bear that in mind.
So overall, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna belabor this this part of um, the discussion. I think David Chalmers is is a really worthwhile place to start if you're interested in consciousness because he does not have an axe to grind. Um, he has a lot of interesting ideas, whether he's looking at the materialist viewpoint or um, other types of theories about consciousness. And I watched a uh, a vidcast, kind of like a podcast. I think it's a science cast or something like that, where he kind of put the put the um, probability that our universe is actually a simulation running inside of another universe at about twenty percent, which seems a little high to me. But hey, you know, I thought it was kind of funny. So let's go ahead and move on to kind of. Um, uh, the materialist viewpoint and, you know, where um, neurobiology and um, neurologists and, and the science of the brain is at. Um, and I'll try and dip in and talk about the singularity a little bit. Um, but this this is really the meat of, of the mainstream. And uh, <laughs> the idea that we are living in a simulation um, is very much, it seems bizarre. It seems kind of Matrix-like. But it's uh, actually very much in line with the mainstream of thought. Um, it's the kind of idea that you would get from um, the idea that uh, consciousness arises from fundamental building blocks of the universe um, rather than being intrinsic to the universe. So um, let's take a look at this. I think the best way to sum this up um, is that there is no ghost in the machine, so to speak. While at the quantum level, there's there's randomness, and we'll get more to the quantum side of this a little bit later. Uh, the materialist viewpoint is is really kind of a nuts and bolts viewpoint that um, we can we can build consciousness from smaller pieces in the brain, which in the case of the brain are neurons, and the brain has just a incredible amount of uh, neurons interacting. Um, it's something like a hundred billion, hundred billion neurons, which is uh, a lot larger than, than computers that we have today. And consciousness kind of emerges out of, of this. A guy named Daniel Dennett, um, who's really a proponent of, of this type of thing in computer science. Um, and also, uh, you know, he's fairly famous, um, wrote a story, uh, in the late seventies called where am I, which is a fun little story to go and read. It's not, it's not like a book. It's just a little story about, um, someone who puts his brain in a jar <laughs> so that he can be, um, sent down or have his body sent down to do a dangerous task. And when he comes back, um, he actually doesn't come back, but I won't spoil the story. Uh, he finds out that, while his brain is connected to his input, which is his body, um, some some uh, clever scientists have also hooked up a simulation, an exact simulation of his brain and all the neurons composed therein, which is also being fed the same inputs. So this is kind of a cool little story which illustrates this. And if you want to get an idea for how this works, um, I would go read that story, Where Am I? by Daniel Dennett. Um, so we have the idea that the brain and the consciousness is maybe composed of all the easy problems. And once all the easy problems 
are solved with, you know, you've, you've piled enough neurons on and you're basically computing um, enough in a small enough period of time. Eventually consciousness, you know, there's a threshold and consciousness simply emerges out of this. Probably a good way to think of it is in this model, your brain is just basically a big computer. And I should really add here, kind of extending on the idea that perhaps our universe is a simulation running in another universe, or the idea that um, on some level our brain is, is you know, a special kind of computer, but a computer nonetheless. Um, it, it obeys the laws of physics, and um, we could eventually replicate what we have going on in our mind artificially and create something that's conscious. Um, this seems a little bit tangential to the paranormal at this stage, um, and, and that's okay. It, it doesn't really negate it, but it doesn't directly speak to it, although it's interesting to think of like a simulated universe, and then you might think, you know, well, gosh, what if something goes wrong with the simulated universe? What if, you know, there's a program inside of it which is supposed to clean up something and it forgets to clean it up and it reappears like a, say, a ghost? Um, you know, so obviously you can go on and on with that type of speculation and it's a valid speculation. Um, but as far as this kind of understanding of the brain, um, really the, the idea behind it is to write any spirituality, any connection with the, the universe, um, out of it. And, and basically our understanding of the universe is based on, you know, just computation. And this kind of brings me to another interesting part of neurobiology, which is the work of Benjamin LeBay, which seems to kind of um, double down on this concept and actually take it a step further. And that is, um, he did some experiments that seemed to show um, and, and this work has been continued on both before his death and, you know, on into the present. It's, it's a very hot topic in neuroscience. It seems to show that we make decisions before we are conscious of making decisions. Uh, the time involved is about, there's a 200 millisecond delay of this proto-conscious decision process. But what it implies is that we actually have no stake in the decisions that we make and therefore we're basically zombies. Um, and while we have the experience of free will and we think that we're deciding things, actually everything's decided for us and we sit and observe what happened and think we played a part in it. So this is kind of a, it's a very cynical view of the universe and it, might be correct, and it really flows um, directly from the materialist uh, viewpoint. Uh, I guess to put it in so many words, um, your uh, experience of your life is just an epiphenomenon, which means you're just basically watching yourself on the big screen screw things up. Uh, now, please bear in mind that I'm I'm describing this so that we all kind of have. Um, you know, the, the same understanding of, of what people are thinking. Um, but that's definitely not the end of the story. Um, there's a lot of interesting problems with, I guess, the interpretation that 
that were zombies. And there's, you know, there's pros and cons really. Um, one of the interesting things about the delay is, well, how in the heck do people ever hit a baseball if they're not even consciously aware of it uh, until, you know, 200 milliseconds after it's already happened? Um, and this this time delay thing is actually going to come up in an interesting way a little bit down the line. Uh, okay, so I, I've given you uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy's creation myth. So we've gotten we've gotten this far. Um, how does the story end? Uh, in the case of the materialist view of consciousness, um, there's actually a couple interesting figures out there, and one of them, who's uh, an interesting guy, is named Ray. Uh, uh, let's see, Kurzweil, and he's busy popping vitamin pills so that he can actually make it all the way to um, an event called the Singularity. Uh, the Singularity is basically, you know, imagine imagine all the neurons in our brain and then imagine a point in time where scientists create an artificial consciousness, um, but then it just keeps going and kind of a Moore's Law thing. It keeps going and going and... Um, the consciousness expands. This is beginning to sound kind of like a weird spiritual um, kind of idea. And to me, that's no accident because I think it really is. But um, it is a pretty logical continuation of what could happen. And interestingly, um, Ray Kurzweil kind of extends this idea um, beyond the atomic level and down into the quantum level. And that's kind of the major area I'm going to cover next. But uh Ray Kurzweil's whole deal is he wants to live forever and he wants his consciousness, maybe this is a better way to put it, his consciousness to exist forever. Um, so at some point, he's going to copy his consciousness onto a zip drive and then the zip drive is going to be plugged into the singularity and there he's going to be um, forever until somebody unplugs him. So that'll be great. Okay, so quantum physics and consciousness. And I've got uh, a touchstone book here, um, which I just want to reference called uh, The Quantum Enigma, Physics Encounters Consciousness, um, by a couple of physicists uh, out in California, Bruce uh, Rosenblum and Fred Kuttner. This, so, so uh, you know, officially here, uh, diving into quantum mechanics, uh, I'm, I'm in pretty deep water. It's important to, to discuss this uh, I know that people get a little worried with discussions of quantum mechanics as being kind of like the easy path because no one really understands it. Um, and when I say that, I mean that literally in that uh, when we talk about things like collapsing the waveform of the superposition of two particles, there's about 10 major interpretations of that. And the materialists predictably um, hate the interpretations which imply that a conscious observer is necessary to collapse the superposition of two particles and more mystically inclined people of which I'm one, I'm definitely inclined in that direction would say, well, Hey, wait a minute. You can't just, um, you can't just ignore this. So the book I referenced is really coming from the same direction, but it's coming from that direction from two hard physicists who really you know, they really dance around the issue of both um, the mysticism of it and any kind of paranormal connection there, um, which I understand because, as we know, if, if you talk about that kind of stuff, you're instantly marginalized. 
So, but what they're doing is drawing attention to a specific thing, which is consciousness and its interaction with quantum physics. Um, this, and this is something that, you know, the math of quantum physics works with or without, um, this notion of consciousness, um, cause things go on and it just happens that we're conscious observers and we're always observing the universe around us. Um, and, you know, so because of that fact and, you know, a, a number of other things, um, you know, stuff happens. Um, but maybe it's a good idea to just quickly back up and, you know, for those of us who kind of grew up in the 80s and 90s uh, and, and a little bit before that, but that's when it really became popularized was this idea of um, in science, there's this quest for a grand unified theory. And I think lately string theory has kind of, you know, it's kind of grabbed all the headlines. But the reason that there was a need for a grand unified theory is because Einstein and his views, and he's against something called the Copenhagen interpretation, um, which is all about this kind of conscious observer uh, measuring particles, but it really is much broader than that. Um, he, he, He pointed out some of the problems with that. And uh, one of the reasons he pointed out these problems is because quantum mechanics conflicted directly with um, some of his theories. The problem we have, and we have it even today, is that Einstein's theories seemingly work very well at the macroscopic level, and quantum theory uh, has really never, there's never been a serious threat to it. Although, you know, people feel that we, we don't have the whole story on it, but even so, even though it, it seems to work and all the experiments devised to test it um, seem to show that the framework and the theory of quantum mechanics works, um, it still is kind of in conflict with Einstein's theory, which also seems to work. So that's the dilemma. The specific thing that Einstein really objected to was the idea of spooky action at a distance. And, you know, really in the last 20 or 30 years, this idea has really been borne out as something that is a legitimate real-world effect. At the same time, and some of this very recently, like just last year, um, it's been shown that particles that are macroscopic, in other words, they can be observed with the naked eye, can be put into a state of superposition. Uh, Now, the funny thing about this is, and this was done by um, some professors at the University of Santa Barbara. I'll, I'll get a link for that on the forums later. Um, the funny thing about that is, of course, this is a quantum mechanical effect. So you're not going to see the superposition itself. What you're going to see when you observe it is the collapsed final view at the macroscopic level. But it was proven that it was put in a superposition state at the macroscopic level. Then there's um, even seemingly more bizarre things, such as observing a particle or making an observation can seem to have a time delay effect where a choice is made in the past based on an observation in the future. And, you know, again, a lot of these, the interpretations of these things are extremely controversial, but you know, it's not a settled matter. Um, and really what it usually comes down to is the bias of the person who's 
talking about the issue. What I can tell you is no one can fault you for holding the opinion. It's not an unscientific thing. No one can fault you for believing that your conscious observation of the universe affects it without you touching it. And if you're observing something which is entangled with another particle which is halfway across the galaxy, it will affect it instantly, basically violating uh, you know, the speed of light and all that. That's a given. So we're kind of at an interesting point in time. Uh, now, many people have speculated, including physicists, that there's a there's really an obvious framework for things like telepathy there. And obviously, if you can affect a macroscopic object, which is in superposition, just by looking at it and thinking of it consciously, that also seems to be kind of a paranormal effect, even though it's a legitimate, measurable effect at the same time, which doesn't violate any laws of physics. So... This is really interesting. Um, it, I'll just sum it up and say your consciousness seems to affect the universe. It's a reasonable interpretation. Why would that be? Well, that's a rhetorical question, and rhetorical questions are kind of bad form, but I'm going to go ahead and answer it anyways. <laughs> so um, let's move on to Orc OR. Um, this isn't Dungeons and Dragons. I better spell it out. It's O R C H dash O R, and this is a specific theory of consciousness. Um, and there's a lot of them. And I think I mentioned before the reason I was interested in this one is it seems to correctly integrate a number of the problems that are out there, and a number of the observations that we made, and some of the things I was just discussing. Um, uh, as regards to quantum physics, um, and it really throws in a couple of new twists and new wrinkles that are really interesting. Um, and I, I think for this section, there's another touchstone book, which I, uh, you know some of you might find interesting, um, and it's by the person who proposed the theory originally, although I don't think it was originally called Orc OR, uh, but um, the book is called The Emperor's New Mind, and it's written by... Uh, some guy <laughs> named Roger Penrose. Um, who is this this guy? He's he's a scientist. Um, he's worked with Stephen Hawking and others. And what he was thinking about was Kurt Godel's or Girdles. Well, I'll call him Kurt Godel because I'm an American. Theory of um, incompleteness or Godel's incompleteness theorem. What? Godel's theory, uh, excuse me, his theorem gets at is the idea that there are truths about any formal set, but these truths, while true, are not provable by the theory or the set itself. And what theory am I talking about? What system of, of math? Basically, this extends to any theory or any system of, of mathematics or logic or anything. Um, and it kind of gets to, you know, really interesting questions about um, how the universe is built. You know, it, is it really, I, I actually, I take it pretty seriously. I, I'm interested in Kurt Godel's ideas. Um, they're tricky, but, you know, is there a fundamental incompleteness to the universe, which 
actually has some physical basis uh, in addition to everything else. So Penrose was looking at this from the angle of a computer. And his idea was a computer is never going to know what it doesn't know. But a conscious human being can actually somehow access, you know, truths which are not computable. I guess one way to state this would be if Kurt Godel was just a computer program, he never would have had the realization that it was possible to understand that everything is incomplete because he would have assumed that the framework that he existed under was complete. And if you, you know, if you program a computer to believe that red and green are the same thing, no matter how sophisticated its algorithms are, if you program it in that way, it's never going to be able to um, self-correct it. And that's not to say that you know, in computing and in computer science, there aren't algorithms that are not self-correcting. So now we've made a more complicated um, scenario. But there are still limitations within that formal system where there are truths outside of it, which are true, but which the computer itself will never be able to compute. It's incapable of it. So how do we humans look at this and come to these kind of conscious realizations? That was the problem that Roger Penrose was trying to solve. What he eventually came up with and presented in his first book, The Emperor's New Mind, um, or his first book on consciousness, I should say, is a really interesting idea that while we've been discussing quantum mechanics in terms of um, consciousness collapsing the waveform, he identified a threshold where the waveforms could self-collapse, but that would induce a conscious moment in the universe. Now, this is a really incredible and interesting idea, but it takes something which is seemingly inex inexplicable, which is the connection between consciousness and um, quantum mechanics, and it turns it in, it, it creates the obverse, right, or the reverse, where it kind of works both ways. And consciousness at that point becomes kind of a contagion where consciousness can beget more consciousness in the universe because it's kind of fundamentally built into the universe at the quantum level. And this ultimately is his argument, and it's a lot more sophisticated than that. But that's 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 the that's the gist of it. So in his view, you know, we are not computers who from which consciousness emerges. Consciousness was there all along, and our the form of our bodies and our brains is such that we can kind of amplify these quantum effects and string together enough periods of consciousness in a concentrated sense that we start to have this perception of, of awareness and consciousness. But consciousness in this model is like spin, mass, or charge. It's a non-reducible part of the universe. So the Orko-R theory gets, uh, you know, it gets criticism as being kind of a mystical idea. But honestly, the Big Bang is no different. And... Uh, physicists talk about, you know, you know, slightly different conditions could lead to different physical laws. If we grant ourselves these non-reducible 
parts of physics, and we do, we do it all the time. It's a perfectly legitimate idea in science to say, well, consciousness could be one of those non-reducible pieces of physics. It's just something that most materialists for certain um, haven't seriously considered. But I think instinctively, a lot of us believe that. This isn't, this isn't really something we need a scientist to tell us. We need a scientist to tell us that, you know, we're a robot or a zombie. But we don't need him to tell us that there's something interesting about consciousness. Um, I should also mention Stuart Ammer, Hammeroff, who, after reading the book The Emperor's New Mind, contacted Roger Penrose and said, Hey, you know, I think I know a part of the brain where the quantum process you describe could actually take place. And the theory proceeded quite rapidly from there. And it actually, um, it's a proper scientific theory in that it has falsifiable, um, uh, falsifiable parts of the theory so that, you know, experimentally this stuff could be proven or disproven. But to me with, with Orco R it's, it's a really, it's a really transcendent, idea because it hooks up consciousness to the wheelbase of the universe and it it actually gives a physical basis to to the concept of qualia where it's not just a movie that's playing in our heads it's you know we're entangled with the rose we're not just observing the rose and we might have a little a little bit of the rose, which is now kind of embedded inside of our consciousness when we engage with it in a conscious sense. And when we think consciously in our mind to call up a picture of a rose, the qualia of a rose, what is it, how it smells, how it feels, um, the sense of it may be a physical sense in a very minute way, which really, you know, perhaps in a holographic sense, along with all the other things that we've been entangled with in our lives, our consciousness has come across. Um, that, along with, um, at the quantum level, you know, kind of being attached right into the fabric of the universe and to everybody else that we would be entangled with. So, you know, there's that whole oneness thing. It seems to be, you know, it seems to be plausible. And it's, it's just very interesting. Let me go back. Let me read that quote from Max Planck again, the one I read back when I was talking about David Chalmers. I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything we talk about, everything that we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. Okay, everybody. So... I'm I'm really at the end of the of the theories of consciousness and the description of consciousness. So we we've gotten through a very broad swath of material in a very short amount of time. What I want to do is just kind of put a thought experiment out there, and and we'll kind of take it from a paranormal perspective, um, and and kind of close off with that. And that is imagine two scenarios for us. Um, and, and they're both pretty reasonable ones. Um, one scenario is we are, our consciousness in the materialist sense is evoked through uh, the laws of physics. So we are computers, um, but 
for this thought experiment, imagine that we are not the base universe. We are a simulated universe, so we're running on somebody's desktop. And some of the paranormal effects I'm about to describe, they occur just because, you know, the simulation isn't perfect and it has glitches, you know, like the Matrix. Um, and then the other scenario would be something like the Orco R scenario where we're the base universe. So we're, we're the only universe. There's no multiverse, but the universe we live in after the big bang has consciousness embedded in it as a non-reducible um, variable of our universe. So keep those two ideas in your head. Those are two perfectly valid ideas. Um, and then consider some of these, um, these ideas and some of them you may have heard of some of them you may not have heard of um, UFOs some people say that when they're looking at a UFO they have the sense that there's a consciousness looking back at them okay the global consciousness project um, why is there a correlation with a bunch of random number generators with highly emotional events where the consciousness of everybody might be in a particular state. Backwards time effects. Um, there was some experiments done actually based on Benjamin LeBay's work by Dean Radden and, and, and Dick Behrman, where they basically put, um, you know, th they would show the participants in the study two different scenes. One of the scenes would be very mild, like, you know, puppies and rainbows and the other would be like you know really violent and disturbing imagery and the result of that experiment was and this is a, an experiment that you know you guys could try yourself um they they hooked these people up to a lot of sensors and they noticed this same backwards time effect where the brain was actually starting to process before the image was shown and if it was a violent image the reaction would start to happen before the image appeared on the screen. Okay. Thinking that a person is staring right at you, you know, kind of like the men who stare at goats, um, and then turning around and finding out that that's exactly right. Someone was staring at you. Or thinking of someone who you haven't met in a really long time, but you remember fondly maybe, and then all of a sudden you run into this person, right? So it's a synchronicity. Um, so I, I could really go on and on, but think of the two models that I presented and there's no right answer here. I, I think they both work. Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to get the idea across of the importance of consciousness to the paranormal. And, and I think that's enough for now. So I, I hope everybody enjoyed this and, uh, take care everybody. Hi, this is David Roundtree, author of Paranormal Technology, and you're listening to Paratopia. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world? 
we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it. We take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Hey everybody, this is Stacy Lowry. And this is Jeremy Vaney. Tune in to the Black Fridays at theblackfridays.net where we explore the world one conversation at a time. But be sure to do it on Sundays when we post the show. Instead of Friday. Yeah, how does that work? I don't know. It seems to make sense the other way. Never mind. Don't tune in at all. <laughs> in fact, don't even listen to our show. <laughs> don't give <laughs> So the Jeff. So the Jeremy. John Spring, eh? John Spring. He sure knows a lot about the brain. More than I care to know. <laughs> Your brain and mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, you know, Fine job, by the way, John. Fine yes, job. Yes, yes. You did not get beat down, deservedly so, by Jeff Fritzman. Um, it's interesting because you did that episode with Lee, and you were talking about the Whitley Strieber um, evolution line, you know, is this what evolution looks like applied to the mind or whatever, whatever that quote is. Uh, and I had started actually recording my own little listener episode based on some brilliant insights of my own that went along those lines. And then John did this show and I was going to attach mine to the end of John's show, but I figured that would probably just hurt everybody. Like, I think, I think one's enough per episode. Well, it would, cer- it would certainly hurt me, so go ahead. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'll, I mean, I'll save it. I'll save it for a rainy day. Maybe I'll even save it for next week. Who knows? Okay. Um, but I just think it's interesting that this has been a theme, at least, um, well, for the last two weeks and then for me for the last three weeks. And maybe for the listeners as well, if I do a thing for next week. Um, so, um, So my question is... I kind of feel as though we sort of basically agree on sort of the whole oneness thing underlying separation. Like, why isn't that enough? Don't you think um, all of these various theories and and whatchamahoozies kind of get in the way after a while? Like, isn't the point of um, doing away with thought and, and, you know, meditating to, um, to be free of thought, essentially, to be open doesn't thinking about how we think about thought after a while get in the way? Doesn't it become just too much theory and babble after a while? I mean, don't don't you just want to shut up sometimes? Yes, Jeremy, but every time I try and do that, uh, a thought comes into my head. And let me tell you what that is. I think I might have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I, I can't meditate. I, I've got too much going on in here. Uh, so, so you lose me when you start talking about all of that, like quieting the mind and what have you. I, I, I mean, there's been rare times in my life where that's been able to happen. So is it too much talking about that? Uh, well, I'm saying if that's the goal, whether you can do that or not, right? If that's the thing that needs – I mean, again, it all gets back to what's the thing that actually needs to happen for the human being to get it and for the light bulb to go on? Well, if that thing is to stop thinking about all of this shit and everything else, 
then why don't we stop thinking about this shit and everything else? Why do we have to keep searching and searching when the answer is stop searching? Because that's hard. That's a hard concept to get your head around, I think. I mean, at least it was for me when you first brought that up to me. It's just like, give up. Just stop. Just give up. Realize you're never going to get it and, and, you know, and stop, stop looking. And I think that that uh, – I, I kind of got where you're coming from. I'll tell you what did it for me, um, and, and I kid about meditation. Like I, I can shut up when I want to, as uh, <laughs> difficult just, as it is for our just, audience just to understand. To. Just don't want to. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what worked for me was, believe it or not, uh, something that, uh, that Anton Wilson had brought up in a lecture, which is to sit quietly on the floor and to – Close your eyes and settle yourself a little bit and then try and sit and contemplate why you're sitting on the floor doing this exercise. (laughs) That's the goal. And so for you, it would be, I'm doing this exercise because I heard Jeff and Jeremy talk about it on Paratopia. Paratopia is a podcast that I hear through my computer the integrated circuit is integral to the computer and the integrated circuit was made in such and such year by such and such person who is a man who is derived from a monkey uh, <laughs> and just keep going back and back. And eventually uh, something tends to erupt out of that. And, and people have had uh, some pretty interesting es- escapes uh, from thought using that, that, that method. I always laugh. I always just think, this is ridiculous. Why am I sitting here doing this? I'll tell you why I'm doing this, because I'm out of my mind, and Jeremy has told me to try this, and I'm trying this because he said to. And I, I don't know. I, I, what do you do? How do you do it? These are all things that when we hear about something that can be accomplished, you always think, okay, well, there's got to be steps to accomplish that. I think that's just ingrained in every human being. And so for somebody to tell you, I can't tell you, you just have to give up and stop trying, well, that means just going on. To me, that means just going on with daily life and not worrying about it. And that doesn't work either for me. I don't know. I I, I have not a lot to offer when it comes to the meditative practices. <laughs> put well, it I mean, way. I just think it's as simple as uh, reality is nothingness and everythingness at the same time. And so while the body is mm-hmm. representing everythingness, we have the ability – with the mind to represent nothingness. Mm-hmm. And you do that with meditation by turning off the, the everything, the clutter of the mind, the thought, the whatever, whatever. Uh, and once that is achieved, then you are back prior mm-hmm. to the primordial state. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the God level. The, oh. But, but anytime that, that, that you say to me, um, when I say what's in your head and you say absolutely nothing. And, that kind of goes back to the question I pose when it comes to everything from the Big Bang to God knows what else is you know once nothing is perceived then there's something there. That's right. So how do you how do you not have something going on in there? There's got to be some underlying current of thought in there somewhere because if not, the nothing part is the part that gets me. It's like how do you escape your own thoughts? Well, in that moment you know? of nothing, you don't exist. So at that point, there's no you escaping from anything. There's just right. nothingness. Just nothingness is the case. I think that's the part that's like hard for people to get their head yeah, around. That's, because that is hard. You yeah. want to be the thing that's experiencing nothing. 
but the experience of nothing is the case when you don't exist. <laughs> right. 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 Well, and I mean, one way it... for you to not exist is I think that Robert Anton Wilson exercise of going back and going back and going back until you get to the brain scramble of, I don't know. I don't get it. And yeah. in the moment of negativity, it's the moments of negativity where uh, you achieve a uh, quote unquote, achieve this, you know, I'll put that in quotes, right. um, not positivity. I mean, that was Krishnamurti's big thing, which was correct. You know, the positivity is adding on to and saying, you can do this. You're getting somewhere, you know, right. The negativity right. is we can't say what the ultimate is. We can only get to it by defining what it isn't. And so you right. peel away the layers of what it isn't. And, and uh, I think I've said on this show that I've done that, you know, I years ago did that with myself where it was like every sort of personal issue I peeled back in that Robert Anton Wilson way. Mm-hmm. Why do I do this? Well, because this is my pattern. Why is that my pattern? My parents, why my parents, their parents, you know, on and on and right. on. Right. Um, until finally you arrive at this blossoming of silence because eventually hmm. you just end in silence. It's like, okay, I can go no further. Um, and I don't exist. <laughs> it's like eventually where you get to, but it's not like a thought. It's not like, and I don't exist. Isn't the thought. It's just, that's where you arrive. It's like you arrive at the point where you dissolve. <laughs> well, I mean, this sounds like everything I've read when it comes to, um, the death of ego with the, um, uh, the psilocybin experiments and the DMT experiments, loss of the self and that sort of thing. Um, you know, my question would be, I mean, I, I have to say, you know, I, I've told everybody about the night uh, when I was laying in bed and I started seeing faces of different people. Um, I, I think I talked about that on a, a previous episode and how I would feel like I was drifting backwards from myself. I was laying on my stomach facing the pillow and, um, you know, just random faces just start f- flashing by and and having this. This epiphany, and I have no idea where this epiphany came from, but all of a sudden in that, I don't know, in that, uh, I guess a kind of twilighty uh, state, there was this overwhelming realization that these were not separate people, that the oneness thing that you often talk about, which I can't even really accurately describe, it's like an epiphany. It's like, oh my God, that's it. That's it. That's it. But it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger a feeling than that. And then I would start, as I realized that, I would feel like I was floating backwards. And I guess if I'd have been on my back, I'd have been floating backwards uh, the same way. And, uh, and when I told uh, Lee about that, I said, uh, it scared me because you wonder, are you dying? Is, is that what's going on here? Am I dying? And, um, and he said, well, if you're describing it the way I think you are, then it is sort of like dying. Uh, death of ego, death of the self, and all of that. But my problem is, uh, and the question I have for you is, once you attain that kind of silence, what then? And number two, how do you possibly hold on to that? Because I can think back to that night when that happened, and I can feel sort of that feeling, but it's not nearly as revelatory as it was that night. It's like I can't get a hold of that again. I don't know how I got it, but I can't get it back. <laughs> when you reach that state of, like you're saying, the nothingness, the loss of the self, not recognizing the self, where do you go from there? What happens from that point? Well, the, I think the problem most people make is uh, for themselves is 
trying to chase it and trying to achieve that again. Mm-hmm. Um, or they just stop there and go, okay, that's it. Now I'm a guru or whatever, you know, now I'm God. <laughs> right. Um, but most people chase right. the feeling. I mean, if, uh, the, the last thing you want to do is be dead. And so you will chase the feeling and that's your way of being alive, you know, from now on. Uh, I think it's a horrible trick that we all play on ourselves. Um, but ultimately I think the, what comes next is what's happening with me, which is this, whatever the name is, Kundalini energy or whatever it is. It's, you know, as much as I allow it is what that is to say, as much as I die and let this thing take over or step aside and let it do its thing. I think it prepares the body, the mind, the whatever, um, to be able to live that state. You know, I think that probably Hmm. is the end result. Uh, but you only get there from not trying, (laughs) Because the moment you wow. want it and get in the way, you're in the way. I think I'll just stick to looking at flying saucer pictures. Or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's probably for the best. <laughs> it probably is, you know. But I just I think it's it's funny, you know. John talks about like Ray Kurzweil and these sorts of you know people who want to like mm-hmm. download their consciousness into machines and you know. And I met uh, Michu Kaku at um, the New York yeah. Comic Con last weekend and. Um, he gave a bit, which by the way is a great place to meet nationally known or internationally known theoretical physicist is comic book convention. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, he was promoting, um, a new book and a new TV show on the science channel. And so it was a discussion with him and a writer for, um, one of the Star Trek series hosted by one of the producers of the science channel. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, the first question she asked Michio Kaku had nothing to do with UFOs. And yet he turned his answer into a UFO answer. So mm. clearly it's on his mind and what he wants to talk about. And I, I wonder how the producers of the science channel feel about that. Or even, you know, the guy sitting next to him who is, you know, a self styled thinker and, uh, and what have you, um, writer for right. Star Trek. Um, but in any event, he was asked, you know, what's one thing you would like to see happen in your lifetime. And he said, immortality. Mm. Uh, and he talks about mortality as being nothing more than um, sort of screwed up genetic code. And he said that crocodiles and alligators do not die uh, of old age. And he says, you know, I know you've probably seen on shows that an alligator lives to an average span of 80 years. He said, that's not true. The zookeeper lives to an average span of 80 years. The alligator keeps going unless it dies of disease or, you know, some sort of complication. Uh-huh. But they have not ever been known to die of old age, which I found interesting. Wow. That's wild. And he said, we have this in our genes. It's just a matter of decoding it. Um, Cracking it. Yeah. But I, it would just, get awfully crowded though, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it would get awfully crowded. And also this, this wanting to live on as yourself in a machine or in some immortal biological container, such as you, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm think is just bass backwards like i think it will not work because nature doesn't work that way because <laughs> I, I think it's antithetical to mm. uh to what we are and um and antithetical probably to evolution certainly well certainly to evolution i don't think you can well I mean, i'm going to be frozen do you, i mean i mean do you think that's a worthless endeavor <laughs> yes i mean well i mean i just i just I, wonder I like <laughs> If if evolution is about consciousness, is about 
um, for right or for wrong, whatever you feel about it. I mean, personally, I think evolution is a misstep as far as consciousness goes, because as Krishnamurti again says, the first step is the last step. And it's really, you can wake up right now. So why not? So why evolve? But mm. evolution is there because we don't wake up right now. And so evolution exists and it brings us out of, you know, I mean, just look around. It brings you out of primordial ooze into animal, into what we are. Right. And what we are is something that can comprehend mental structures and, and beyond. Mm. So I think it's safe to say that that evolution is leading out of physical or out of physicality into the sort of nebulous mental, if you want to say spiritual consciousness realm. Mm. Um, so my question is, would downloading your consciousness into a computer or having achieved immortality as you, the ego, put a stop to that evolutionary climb? Hmm. Wow, that's an interesting question. I don't think you're going to stop it. I mean, I've had this discussion with uh, with my wife when it comes to Alcor Corporation and freezing my brain when I'm dead. Um, <laughs> Why not freeze it now and get an early jump on that? Well, I, I, we're waiting for the uh, circuit courts to overturn that blasted law um uh federal courts rather um i wonder how you would be able to defeat it i mean how i've thought a, a billion times like how that would even work you know if the if, if you if the body dies and but we don't know what happens when we die we don't know what happens with that pineal gland that blasted little peanut in the base of the brain known as the seat of the soul we don't know if it really sits there or not so if that um if that gets frozen, what happens? I've wondered about that, no doubt. I've also been uh, thinking about uh, <laughs> what happens if we die and we go someplace else and I'm having a coffee with uh, Jim Morrison one day on the corner and all of a sudden uh, they unfall me into a cyborg body here on Earth and the next thing you know, it's... <laughs> you know? <laughs> -da 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 -da. Uh, I don't want to be that guy. Hell, I don't know. I... And by the way, the Japanese have created an artificial intelligence that can lie. Can lie. That's so right. we're already That's on right. our way to Terminators, folks. Yeah, we're on our. We're totally on our way. Yeah, they're teaching them how to be deceptive, which is really that's. Hey, good. Let's hear it for them. Good work. Thank you. So, when our machine overlords finally take over, they're all just going to lie to us. I don't think you're going to stop evolution. Um, I was kidding about the uh, freezing thing. I, I was going to do that at one point, but then I, I don't know. I, I think what the hell's the point anyway? I think that's like naming um, your kids after you. It's like the most egocentric thing you can do. It's like, I'm going to live uh, forever. Well, well, I think, uh, Thaw me I, I don't can. Right. Right. And then what are you going to do? Wake up and be like, ah, I recognize nothing. I understand nothing of the society I'm in. Well, exactly. And that's, that's exactly the reason that I decided against it. You know, I thought, I mean, mine was not necessarily egocentric, uh, reason for doing it. My reasoning for doing it was I would like to see what it looks like in 150 years. Yeah, but you don't just see, then you have to live there and you're like then you the have retard to live in the playpen who's like, exactly. Just stay here, little Jeffy. We'll take care right. of everything. Right. And, and who knows? I mean, you could, they could be, it could be as, it could be as great as a utopian world of the future, or it could be Blade Runner, or it could be just like it is right now, only instead of like 
measuring your foot size and looking at your your cranium and all they could be just measuring pools of your saliva as it drips from your mouth um what are they what's going to happen what's it going to feel like where am i going to be it's like these are too many unanswered questions for me in that in that whole thing and i i think you're right in the sense of us dying has always been the way it's always been the way it's been i don't think they're ever going to overcome death i think that is a part of I think that is a completely natural part of what it means to be alive. You experience this and then you go on and experience other things. And I, I don't think I'd want to throw an interruption clause into that and say, well, I'll go check this out. But if they can thaw me out again down there, I want to go back and check it out. It's now, I think once you're done here, you're just done. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, what if just things just and, accumulated an accumulation of right. bodies? I mean, then what where a sardine can, I mean, that just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Well, then it's then it's off world. Then it's you know. Then that's what but it, it becomes. Isn't. Is, <laughs> that's the thing, right? Not well, if it comes thing. too you know, soon, you know. Not if one technology comes too soon, right? Right. And the other part is, if you get your brain frozen, and you know, you get the small, I don't know, moisture pellets that that completely destroy the brain. Currently, it's not such a good thing. Uh, but not only that. They, with nanotechnology, they should be able to repair that in a couple of hundred years, maybe. I think the real problem, <laughs> I think the real problem is, um, uh, is to, to take that step and to know that the last time you close your eyes is not likely going to be the last time and to put all your, you know, to put all your pennies in that bank and then the world ends anyway. And then the aeons go by, and you're in a vat in Phoenix, still frozen. <laughs> and God knows what found you. You know? <laughs> God knows what finds you. I mean, I don't know. Uh, too many ifs in that department for me. But, but uh, well, you, you don't fear death. You don't, you're not particularly afraid. I mean, you don't want to die. It's not like you don't want to die. I mean... Um, no, I do. I still fear it. Yeah, yeah, but a lot less than say, oh me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when push comes to shove, when you're there, uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah. You know. Uh, I mean, this is a this is a topic where we'll be covering probably during. I mean, most assuredly during the premium stuff, but uh, we're going to be doing the uh, the NDE experiences and all of that. So we're going to try weird. and gather like, some around that. I decided to let Mr. Meditation Energy out before we started recording. Mm-hmm. And I was doing all of these new weird things. And I could actually feel like at one point there was like some sort of odd, like having my hand in one position by my forehead and the other hand, like pushing toward it. And mm-hmm. after doing a whole bunch of weird maneuvers and I could feel some sort of actual energy, like going, vroom, you know, mm. into my forehead and then like tensing up my, my stomach and gut, like, uh, like tensing up and shaking, like, uh, like that kind of thing. Hmm. I mean, a lot of weird stuff. And I got to tell you, I feel great. Like right now I feel really great. I don't know what, what, ha- I don't know what just happened, <laughs> but I feel fantastic. Hmm. But the fact that like, this is happening to me is like ridiculous. Like I, I can't like stop thinking about the fact that this other dimension is open in me that was not there, you know, prior to a few years ago. And how hmm. the fuck is this not happening to everybody? You know, like, why is everyone not on top of this? And then I've got to, like, listen to everyone else's theories on consciousness. And it's like, no, you guys don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Just get here. You know what I mean? It's like, 
And I like yeah. them and I appreciate them for what they are, but essentially, I don't know. A- after a while, to me, it just sounds like a bunch of really smart people outsmarting themselves and to their own detriment. And it's funny because I feel like John, um, like I said, I think he uh, says, you know, I think he basically comes from a same or similar spot where I come from mm-hmm. in his thinking about this stuff. So I wonder for him who reads all of this um I mean, is it still, I guess this is a question for him, really, is it still inspiring? Because I I would imagine that uh, reading some of that stuff does get the juices flowing um, mm-hmm. and gets you thinking in different ways. But, I mean, after a while, knowing what you know, does it does it run dry? Do you just go, eh, these guys are smart, but they don't, they still don't get it. Smart isn't what applies here. You're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> I just, I don't know what to say to this. And you want to start charging for this show. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, see, this is, this is the part where I think you don't get is that you're already there. You've, you've reached a certain point with this and you can feel it. You can get your, uh, you can get your spiritual grasp upon this. You can, you know what I mean? Like you got your hands on the ball. Everybody else is trying to figure out not how to get their hands on the ball, but where the fuck's the ball? That's what people are trying to figure out. And I think because you've already got that here, you understand that. I mean, to me, it doesn't sound easy, but then again, it doesn't sound hard either. It's just kind of. But I don't think they are looking for the ball. See, that's the difference. I think that's the denial. Like, I think people who say they're looking for the ball that becomes their game. You know what I mean? I think it's that subtle of a trick. It's like, Mm. you'll do, again, you'll do anything to not find the ball, including saying, I'm looking for the ball. And so, that way you can just throw away anything you hear that might ring true. Just be like, well, Mm. I don't know. Well, then you're going to spend your life not knowing. It's like, figure it out. Well, isn't the, well, here's the thing. Isn't the, I don't know, fuck it, the way to go? No, because that's not an active, I don't know, fuck it. That's, that's complacency and it's not the same hmm. giving up, you know, it's not the same give up. No, it's not giving up. It's not giving up in disguise. Disguise is giving up because the giving up can't be a decision. It can't be like, I give up, you know, that's an hmm. active thing that therefore you're not giving up. You're you still just have there. to take like, <laughs> you have to take that collective exhale and go. <sighs> right. And this is where the Buddhists and the Zen people go. Uh, who is the one who gives up? You know what I mean? And then you go, well, what the fuck are you saying? Well, what they're saying is there's still a you there claiming to be giving up. Therefore, you still exist and you're not giving up. You have to go away. Not not <laughs> the action of you isn't the thing that needs to die. You need to die. Period. You know? But uh, how, how do you how do you let me ask you something real quick when it comes to this, because this has kind of been a recurring theme lately in some stuff I've been listening to. How do you think the whole give up? Uh, surrender is a, probably a pretty good word. How do you think that that relates to, say, the DMT experience where when someone uh, takes three good hits of DMT and everybody says, don't fight it, just give up, give it, surrender to it, let it go, let it go. Don't fight it because if you fight it, you're going to have a problem. It, is, are we talking about the same kind of giving up, giving in, go with it, let loose, let go? 
Maybe. I mean, I, I feel like that's... Because, again, you're there and you're active and there's an obstacle that you're fighting against, right? Which is this drug in you. So you think that you can maybe remain in control against this thing. Whereas mm-hmm. just giving up for the sake of giving up within yourself, there's no there's no thing there that you're trying to, you know, Surrender struggle to. against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think mm. the effects I don't know. See, I don't know enough really still even about these drugs to know whether they dissolve the sense of self or whether they just warp it in a bunch of different unique ways. Well, I mean, at least in Strassman's book and, and a bunch of other ones that I've that I've been looking at lately, it's it, they've talked explicitly about the complete loss of themselves, and I, I don't know how that can apply to psilocybin, but uh, psilocybin, at least for, for my one try, was I knew where I was. I knew uh, for most of it where I was. I knew I had a sense of myself. You know, well, what do even they get when lost I was into, I mean, do they? They have uh, an experience. Well, well, they they uh, what's described often is uh, a, a complete loss of the body. Number one, they completely lose that, and then at a certain point, I mean, most of them can't describe it verbally. They can't describe what it's like to be gone. They are gone. They are no longer there. There is just a their consciousness is still there to a degree, but even that is eroding. Uh, and I think that's. If I'm not mistaken, for a lot of people, um, that's where the fear starts to really take hold in that they cannot hold on. One woman that I recently read on Earwood said it was like hanging off a cliff by two fingers and saying, I can't do this. I, you know, And then you know, a tidal wave coming over the side of the cliff where you just have no hope at all. And that notion of no hope uh, is where it starts to become fearful for me laying on my stomach up in bed that night and seeing all those faces going by, you know, I say, I say there was definitely a personality to that feeling uh, in the sense that I would see these flashes. I would get the epiphany. I would start to drift back and I'd go, no, 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 no. And I'd kind of shake myself and work at, cause there was a numbness that starts and there was a paralyzation that started, which I knew is probably some kind of sleep paralysis probably. But nevertheless, I felt inside completely awake and drifting backwards and out. I was gravely concerned that at any minute I might see the back of my head. <laughs> uh, and that bothered me. And then I would say, no, 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 no. And, and I'd kind of get back to being face down on the pillow with my eyes almost open inside the pillow. Um, and then I'd start to hear music off to my right hand side. And I'd focus on that music. I mean, I've never heard that song before. It's, that's a really that'd be a really good country song, and then all of a sudden I'd feel myself drifting backwards again. So it was it was like let me placate you with a little music here. Here, check this out. Do, 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 do. All right, pulling you out, pulling you out. No, 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 no. So it was that kind of thing, and that's the way a lot of people describe uh, this DMT thing. That uh, they're they're going somewhere. The 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 room has disappeared. Uh, they're not there anymore. They're losing it. They can't hold on. Uh, meanwhile, the friends or the spotters, whoever, tell them, let go. Don't fight it. If you fight it, you're going to have a problem. It's going to be fear. You've got to let go. Well, it's I think I can okay. understand it then just in terms of, of my trip. It sounds like uh, the few times when it was like, okay, you dissolve into 
the scene mm-hmm. and the scene is this sure bunch of symbols in this you know world and and then you at some point remember that you exist and that's where you, you are go. yes so like, and then you become oriented again and you're like oh wait a minute this bliss thing this is a trick of some sort like i right. just lost myself like but i can still remember it <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it's just that you become completely engrossed in what you're seeing and what's going on, and then all of a sudden, like you say, when you remember what you're doing, that's when it's zook. <laughs> but here, so here's my you question know? about that. Then, if everything in a dream is you, right? Mm. It's all representative. It's all out of your own unconscious mind. Then, is that all? This is is another version of that where instead of. Um, instead of uh, identifying with a single character or a set of characters in the dream, you actually identify with the entire environment. Mm. Meaning the awake state. Yeah. While you're, well, while you're awake saying? on shrooms or whatever, you, you dissolve whatever, into yeah. the scenery and you are that, you mm. are that scenery until such times you take your own character back and go, Oh, wait a minute. Right. I remember. And then you sort of solidify. Right. And I mean, is it just another level? Is it like we've got levels of solidity? It's like you've got the conscious level of solidity, which is what we live, which is facts and rules and laws and all of that and physics. Right. And then you've got this dream world where it's a little more malleable, but you're still identified with characters in the dream, even though everything mm-hmm. is you. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this drug trip where you are identified with everything until you can pull yourself back. <laughs> into logic and facts and blah, blah, blah. I think dreams are a tough one to put a, a collar on. I mean, I'll tell you what I'm waiting for. If you want to talk about what kind of interesting pharmaceutical technology could be coming up, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the drug that will allow you to remember all your dreams. Like right. you'll take a pill before you go to bed, and when you wake up in the morning, you'll be like, woo! <laughs> well, but even if what you was that? even if you remember all we, your dreams, here's a question for you. Have you ever had a dream where you woke up and you went, I was the room. I was the I, walls. I hmm. was, you know, I mean, nobody I've has had, that dream. I've had that uh, right before sleep. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've had that feeling right before sleep. I was staring at my chest of drawers one night and I went, that's me. I'm, I'm that chest of drawers. But in order to have that, I mean, you, it, it, as retarded as that sounds, I mean, no one, as far as I know, no one's had a dream where they like even woke up into the dream and the waking up into the character was like, I was the walls. <laughs> And I woke up into the dream and then suddenly the walls, which were me, became this entity of me. You know what I mean? Like, it just right. seems like, um, like it, it does seem as though what we're experiencing is, you know, levels of consciousness uh, sort of breaking down into these more and more malleable states, you know, until eventually you are nothing. <laughs> you are one and then you are nothing. Or you are everything. Um... Well, same thing. <laughs> See, this is yeah. the thing because they are inseparable. That's that's the thing. Right, right, and I, I, well, I think I think that's I think you're not too far from the truth. I mean, when you're talking about whether you're talking about psychedelics or meditation or any of that stuff, I think uh, even right down to when you want to talk about alien abduction experiences being multi-leveled experiences, um, um, I think it all kind of uh, somehow, you know, confounding as it is, I think it all somehow fits together in some way. But you know what? What if it's uh, I don't know what. What if what if being able to control the level of depth is more like a drunk man trying to find a particular radio station where you're just kind of bouncing up and down the dial and you can't quite get a handle on where you are. Um, 
you know, is, is that why it's so, like you say, malleable? Is it really not as malleable as it is? Maybe we're passing through making it, and that makes it appear to us as being a more malleable um, perception. Uh, our perception is that, like it's like getting your sea legs. Uh, how do you get your sea legs uh, in that kind of environment or that kind of mental state? Where do you find the where, where do you find the hook or the handle? There isn't a handle. I had this weird uh, dream last night that I was a bookcase. Right. You never hear that. You never hear that. You never hear that. You know? No. Um, But Um, now, so this gets us into, again, uh, I I think all of these, even talking about levels of consciousness, I mean, from the point of view of nothingness or nothingness slash everythingness, they're all one thing. It's all, it's all, it's only broken up by our perceiving it, you know, or living it. Um, So in that breaking up, is it possible for you to regain, I'm sorry, retain your singular sense of self and enter into the dreamscape like, say, Native Americans? Go, Jeff, go. Tell us your story. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Great segue, Jeff. Went to bed the other night, and and, and Lisa brought up uh, something a little weird, too. Uh, We'd been working on the website, and uh, make no bones about it, folks. I haven't probably seen a pillow aside from last night until well after 4 a.m. any given day the past two weeks. And so she and I were in in the guitar room here kind of mucking about with the shopping cart and all of that sort of stuff, which gets incredibly tedious and tiresome. And she went off to bed. But before she did, I was sitting on the stool I play guitar on, and I smelled something. I haven't even told you this yet, but um, uh, it smelled like something burning. And um, not an electrical fire, not anything like that, not a fireplace different from that. I couldn't quite put my fan. And it was was fairly fleeting, I would say. And I said, do you smell that? And she said, I smell something, but I can't tell what it is. I didn't really think that much more about it. Um, I finished up. I answered some emails, logged off the site, and uh, got the house locked up. I went upstairs, and uh, God, I was so tired. I mean, typically, I'll listen to uh, Psychedelic Salon with McKenna. I usually listen to Terrence just about every night, some lecture. I've got, God, hundreds of them now on my iPod, and I usually put the headphone on and listen to that while I go to sleep. But I was so tired, I just flaked out on my back. And, uh, and let's not um, cause any confusion. I don't know if this was a dream. I don't know if I was awake or asleep. So let's throw that caveat in there. I remember uh, laying in bed, and um, I, I was tired. I was drifting off to sleep, but the dog was beginning to lay her head on my ankle, which I can't stand, so I kind of shuffled her off. <laughs> And um, I started to hear um, drums uh, and not, not in any kind of discernible beat that I can recognize, but they were just very low, thuddy type drums. And the first thing that hit my head was that we've got uh, a neighbor kid who plays basketball during the summertime fairly late sometimes. And I thought, is he actually bouncing this ball at like 4 a.m.? What's wrong with this kid? And I get up, I go to my son's room and I look out and peer through the woods and I see the street and there's nobody there. And I don't hear him anymore. And so I go back and I lay down and I start to kind of try to relax myself enough to go to sleep. And I start hearing him again. 
excuse me, and it seems like when I don't pay attention to trying to hear them is when I can hear them. And I'm going to start to hear that uh, that wooden flute type sound, you know, that flute sound. Again, not in any kind of melody that I could put my hand on. They were very breathy and that sort of thing. And uh, I open my eyes and I see stars and I see like the silhouette of branches uh, with light flickering about and um, uh, and there's a man there on my right hand side I'm clearly laying on my back um, Native American man uh, very fuzzy white hair that is about to his collarbone I don't remember what if it was anything around his neck because somebody asked me that today like what was he wearing I don't remember all I remember is like he had a big thing tied around the top of his head. I could see a little bit of his hair on top. Very old. I mean, very, very old. Um, Saggy skin like you don't want to know. And I went to look at my hand because I felt weird. And I I raised my hand up and I could see light flickering on it that was clearly coming from the left-hand side. But I didn't look to my left to see where it was coming from. There's clearly orange light. Orange light on him orange light on my hand and uh, to which his reaction to that is, Oh no, 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 no. no. And he puts my hand down beside me and um, he gets something from his right hand side. He gathers something up in his hands, cups him like a, like a, like a ball or like you're going to do a, a bird call. He's got the two thumbs together and the hands are closed and he's kind of rocking back and forth like this with the, like this. <laughs> He's rocking back and forth with his thumbs pressed against his lips and the rest of it cupped in front. So you can kind of get a, a visual for that. And all of a sudden he's rocking back and forth and he's mumbling real quiet, you know? And then all of a sudden he opens up his hands and throws something into my face. Uh, looked like ash from the, the particles that were floating around in the air. Uh, didn't look like they were light particles. So I'm thinking ash of some sort or dust or dirt. I don't know. And at that point, he grabs up a, uh, I don't know, like a cylindrical thing that I notice is made up of thin sticks or reeds, but they all seem to be straight, bone straight, not sticks, not like a, a, a wad of sticks, but they're, straight and um the ends are smoldering and it's tied with something down towards near the back of his hand and he gets these up and he kind of waves them around and then he starts tapping me on the forehead with the lit end like and i remember and this is how vivid it was like a piece of the ash actually landed on my upper lip like a piece of the ember. And I felt it. I felt the prickly heat on my forehead and on my lip and on the edge of my nose and uh, up above my eyelid. Uh, another one hit that like, I was like, eh. one of those type of things. And then I was, it was all gone. Every, when that started happening, everything got really, really blue. 
really blue instead of being orange. And it was now this process blue. You artist people know what process blue is, like a what they call electric blue. And um, and I blinked and it was all gone. And the only thing I can say after effect wise was it felt like someone had the tip of their finger pressed against my forehead just above right between my eyes. It just felt like there was something lightly touching there. And I couldn't get rid of it. I rubbed it. I got in the bathroom and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, no, there's nothing there. I don't know what the hell that would be. Um, Did you recognize the trees? No. No. I don't mean like the where you were, but I mean, did you recognize them as trees in North America, trees in oh like, sure palm trees? Well, I mean, they weren't. <laughs> no, 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 no. They weren't. They weren't pines or anything like that. They were just. It was clearly like a fall look. There were no leaves. It was just barren trees, hmm. uh, stick-like trees. These were not pines or anything like that. These were very stick-like, you know, oak, elm, that type of variety. But. Uh, I didn't get a great look at anything around me. I got a good look at him. I could draw him if I wanted to. I mean, that's I can picture it vividly. Now, here's what's interesting uh, about this to me is that mm-hmm. um, so you called me with this in the morning. Tokes and yeah. Ghost Horse, who very rarely uh, emails me, emailed mm-hmm. me this article on something about you know uh, I think it was a blog post somebody made about do Native Americans have a better handle on the UFO situation than most. Mm-hmm something along those lines and just basically saying this is probably old hat for you, but just in case I thought of you when I saw this article and Mm -hmm. as I'm reading the headline of this article, Jeff calls and like one of the first words out of your mouth is, uh, I know, I know I don't know Teokis in that well, but could you relay a message (laughs) for him? And then you start telling me this incident and I thought, huh, (laughs) isn't that fucking (laughs) odd? So Mm -hmm. I uh, emailed Teokis and said, I think you probably sent me, this for Jeff. It was actually probably just sort of one of those weird synchronistic things that happen as a confirmation that what you experienced was an experience, whether or not the content mm. of the article had anything to do with what you went through or not. I think, <clears throat> you know, it's just one of those things. Um, or did it? Well, I don't know. Did you <clears throat> read the article? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. Um, uh, it was a good article too. I mean, my, my problem is, is that I'm, I'm slightly, I'm slightly apprehensive and or slash embarrassed to ask Teokson about it <laughs> because as I said to you, it's like I have a hard time uh, rectifying that a Native American shaman person like had anything to do with me when there's plenty of Native American people out there and that need help of some sort. Like what me? Why? I Dude, mean, a what? guy appeared I- in my dream and healed my back. I know. I know. I don't I just know. feel weird about asking Tiokasin <laughs> about that. It's like this is not, you know, I don't know. I just I feel well, maybe weird. Maybe they're about not it. ethnocentric at that point. It's like you're Well, they probably and... aren't. I mean, you know, um but that's it. I mean, there's nothing there was no lasting effect past that feeling in up up on my forehead. That was it, really. And um the one th- extra thing I can say is that like when I turned out of the bathroom and switched the light off, it almost felt like I had um, like a stick or a rod coming out the center of my head. I almost felt like, oh, I've really got to watch this. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm ducking further around door frames and stuff like that. And I don't know. It just felt like there was something coming out right there, just straight out like, that I had to be careful of, you know, but there was nothing there. 
Well, Teokasin, but I can't. I if, can't. I just want to say, if Teokasin's listening, or if anyone is listening, who what Jeff just described makes sense to, um, you know, write to us and let us know what that was. Is there some sort of ceremony mm. of blowing ash on a face and tapping on yeah. the third eye or whatever that would be? It'd be nice to know what what that all means. Well, in fact, it was. I, I well, I think it was. Um, I mean, same general area, but I think where I felt like I was being touched, he was hitting slightly above that with these with these straight sticks. Like they, I don't know, like if you had uh, the description of this is not going to work. I mean, because I don't want people to think a bunch of twigs or reeds or it wasn't that they these things look like. Pick them up sticks like kids like play with like straight. Yeah, like that, but they weren't bumpy. They were straight. I mean, it was like this straight tube of sticks. And the only, the way I knew that it was m- more than one stick, you know, because it would be hard to tell, uh, was that you could hear like the, the multiples of sticks kind of rubbing and vibrating against each other. They, they were only tight down near the bottom. Up towards the top, they kind of, they had this wavering, kind of like a drum brush, that sort of, of thing, but tighter than a drum. But um, yeah, they were burning on the enemy clearly. Um, uh, but it was, it was God viscerally real. I mean, I, I actually turned on the bathroom light and felt disappointed that there wasn't ash on my forehead. Hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's how real it felt. It, it was just like, God, the, the prickliness of the sparks and all of that. I mean, that's something everybody's experienced at one time or another, holding a sparkler on, you know, 4th of July and one of the sparks hits your lip and, right. you know, it's just that slight instantaneous sting. It was like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that, but I mean, again, I, I woke up the next morning and didn't feel any different about anything. I didn't, there's nothing, you know, I mean, it, it's weird when you start talking about, you know, you know, you know. I don't put like a ton of stock in dreamscape stuff, but mm-hmm. um, the more stuff that I kind of wake up into in the middle of the night for no apparent real reason, like the epiphany, the drifting backwards, this Native American thematic, um, man, you really wonder like what is going on when my lights are out. <laughs> you know, like I feel like there's a lot going on there at night besides the dreamscape thing i feel like there's other things going on in there but uh but that's it i mean that's 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 that was the uh that was the totality of it so i don't know i don't know what to make of that very nice well again if anyone does yeah i'd love love to hear what anybody's got to say about it and that's about it so uh next week i believe we're gonna have a guest next week if all goes as planned and we'll well there goes my solo show yeah, to hell with your solo show. Maybe people, that'll be for the subscribers. Hmm? People, are, people are tired of you. Um, <laughs> of course they are. We'll, we'll have a, a, a good guest. If everything pans out, we should have a really interesting guest, actually. And oh, well, we'll let's start charging it. next week, shall we? Uh, no, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, no, this will, this will be a good one. So I hope, uh, hope everybody comes back and tunes in next week. Already. Good night, Paratopia. Good night, Chad. Goodbye and good luck. All that. Yeah. Once again, our thanks to John Spring for providing an excellent listener episode. Give us a lot of food for thought. And I hope you appreciate 
what Jeff and I snowballed with in the after chat as much as we appreciated your show. One final note, the new edition of UFO Magazine is due to hit stands, um, I don't know, next week or the week after. Uh, Emma Woods is the cover story. I am the author of the cover article, and Bill Burns has done a kick-ass publisher's note. So I urge everyone to go out and buy this issue. You will read some things that you uh, didn't know. (laughs) Some new information on the Emma Woods case. Um, And again, Bill Burns does a top-notch deconstruction of what the hell is wrong with ufology and how this case has really brought light to it. So there you go. UFO Magazine on stand soon. Look for it. See you next week. What's better than the radio and all those rhymes with ass? It's our podcast! Not that the podcast almost never Was that extraterrestrial? For a rip cooling with a crazy straw and a pop tart with locks. You've got to think outside the box. And now we hang in the seats. <laughs> Last is some short is taking a while. I thought it would be over two minutes ago.